Welcome to Capsule's Convergence and Collaboration podcast series, which will feature interviews, discussions, and insights into the potential and promise of medical device information system technology. In our world of medical device integration, often discrete realms find themselves on an accelerating path to convergence, to creating new integrated technology and data domains. In this emerging environment, healthcare professionals expect unparalleled access to data and content. Never before have we seen these kinds of opportunities and challenges to improve and create solutions in a world of intelligent new devices and technologies. The question then is how do we, as healthcare practitioners and providers of information technology, choose to innovate, to connect, to integrate, to converge technology and data and collaborate for the betterment of patient care? Today's episode focuses on alarm management. It's an especially timely topic with the Joint Commission's rapidly approaching January 2016 deadline for hospitals to both establish alarms as an organization priority and identify the most important alarms to manage. Capsule VP of Product Management and Marketing, Kevin Phillips, and John Elms, President of Connexol USA, explore the many ways clinical and operational data created by medical devices can be used to help improve patient safety by avoiding the negative consequences of alarm mismanagement and prioritizing alarms both in number and type. Well, first, thank you all for coming. Just by way of introduction, Kevin Phillips, I lead the product management and the marketing team here for Capsule. Thrilled to have John Elms, president of Connexol. And, and really what we're trying to highlight here with uh, this symposium is the value of medical device data. We've seen it used in sending it to EMR for sort of retrospective review within clinical documentation systems, but there's a lot of news around alarm hazards today. I mean, I think we're all aware of ECRI's last two or three years that alarm hazards, fatigue has been the the number one patient safety hazard. Uh, Years ago, we see the Joint Commission identifying the, the plans in place to manage alarms effectively. And so we've worked closely with John for years. Um, I mean, large part because he's uh, he's been a leader in this field. His Connexol is global. We we are global, so we see a lot of interactions with, uh, with each other from time to time. So today we're going to ask a series of questions. Have an open dialogue, please. Ask questions. The, the value here is to answer any questions you may have. I'll ask a few that I think are relevant, and then we'll, we'll go from there. You know, so I mentioned the the ECRI alarms, you know, Joint Commission. Why today is, you know, managing alarms more important than ever before? Has it always been there, or are we just more aware of the the error, the issues with alarm fatigue and the, the drive towards managing them? Can you give a little sense for that? Sure, thanks. So the question is, why now? Why do we care about alarm management, alarm fatigue today? Uh, and why is it suddenly a problem? Well, it's not suddenly a problem, right? ECRI has said for the last 10 years is a top 10 health hazard in healthcare. There's a very famous study we look at in the MOD uh, self-reporting data. Uh, And in that case, it was a famous case at uh, Mass General where the nurse turned off the alarm, the alarming device, because she was just fatigued. She was overwhelmed by the amount of data that was coming at her, alarm data that was coming at her. So the fix for that wasn't to fix the amount of data, but to make it so the nurse can't shut off the machine. 
right? I mean, that's, that to me is, is really ludicrous because we're not going to the root cause, we're going to the Band-Aid approach. So it's always been a problem, but the Joint Commission has made it top of mind. The Joint Commission has said in their National Patient Safety Goal that we must get our arms around alarms by January of 2016. So the first hurdle was declare that alarm management is important. And most hospitals, fairly low bar, and most hospitals met that challenge by simply forming an alarm management committee. They declared it was important. By January of 2016, you need to have an inventory of what's alarming in your clinical setting, which alarms are important, and what are you gonna do about them? So it's become top of mind because the Joint Commission, who accredits about 80% of the hospitals, has said, this is important to you to maintain your accreditation. But the point of the matter is, it's always been a problem. Uh, it will continue to be a problem until hospitals really get their arms around the alarms. And this is the year uh, for that to occur. And so you highlighted there is certainly some negative patient safety consequences, but overall, the, the unintended consequences from alarmed, hazarding, and some of these, what are the sort of the, the, the scope of some of these unintended consequences? Patient safety, nurse workflow, I mean, they run the gamut from all those areas? Uh, they do, so, so the effects, first and foremost, are that nurses will become desensitized to the amount of noise. I had the opportunity to visit an ICU. Uh, the cardiologist who is responsible for the ICU said to me, do you hear that? And it sounded like a Las Vegas casino. Everybody was connected to vents. I mean, it was principally geriatric patients in this ICO. They were all connected to vents, and it was just binging and bonging, and the poor nurses were just going about their business. So the, the cardiologist said to me, do you hear that? And I said, my goodness, yes. He said, my nurses don't hear it. What can you do to fix that? So the, the first one is, the caregiver becomes desensitized. They just don't hear it anymore. It's a little bit like when we're children and mom says, clean your room. After a while, you don't hear mom say, clean your room, because she said it so many times. Yeah, okay, I'll get to it some other time. So the first thing is patient safety. Patient satisfaction is a big driver, right? So you think about the loved ones that are in the room with the, with the patient who's being cared for, and that alarm is just going off and going off and going off and sounding, it's banging and bonging, and nobody ever shows up. Well, for me, if I'm a, a if I'm a loved one, and and, and my my loved one is a, is a patient, I'm alarmed. What's what's going on? And that contributes to negative age cap scores because people feel like the nurses aren't attending. So just the sound and the alerts and knowing what alerts should be triggered at what thresholds, what to do about it, who to send it to, as we begin to rationalize all those alarms, we can bring down the sound, we can bring down the numbers, we can improve patient care, patient satisfaction, and mostly patient safety so the nurses don't uh, become desensitized and just stop responding. Interesting. And we've seen, I mean, it's certainly in certain geographies, we're seeing in critical care areas where there are upwards of a dozen to or more devices connected per patient. Do you get a sense for, on a given day, how many alarms would be generated, maybe both technical, physiological alarms for a given patient in a given day? I mean, is it a few dozen, or are we talking a significantly amount more, just to highlight some of the, 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 yeah. the issue you're highlighting? Yeah, so the question is, how many alarms are actually sounding? What's going on in the room? And it clearly, it's gonna vary by the care area and the acuity of the patient and the numbers of devices to which they're connected, right? 
typically there's a nurse call and there's a physiological monitor and um, maybe there's a ventilator. You know, there, there's, there's multiple devices and, and, and they are making the noise. The number that we've heard, so more so than just how many alarms, the number that we've heard, and, and this is research that came out of Johns Hopkins, which is a Connexol customer and a Capsule customer. And the work that Hopkins did said that alarm fatigue happens at approximately 350 alarms per patient per day, per shift. So not per day, per, per shift. So if you think about that, right, that means that for a one to three nursing ratio, there's a thousand alarms coming at that nurse in an eight hour shift. That means she's getting about 120 alarms an hour. That's ridiculous. So while I've read the research that says that's where the fatigue threshold sets in, we've seen the work at Hopkins and they've driven that number down sub 100. So now the nurse goes about her, her day and when she hears an audible alert or is delivered a secondary alert on a mobile device, she knows or she hopes and has a reasonable expectation that it's clinically significant and it's not just another nuisance or false alarm. So 350 is the threshold when things get really bad per patient. But again, that's a thousand per shift on a one to three. And if you're in a one to five ratio in, in an evening setting or something like that, the numbers become unmanageable. So there is no, here's what's normal, here's what's average. We know that 350 is the breaking point. So that gives us the sense of that, that total quantity of alarms. Well, can you talk through the type of alarms you're seeing? I mean, are all, I mean, some of them will give us the status, you know, high, low, you know, priority. How are you trying to manage that and you're sort of lowering the number of alarms. Is that how you're taking into consideration that is the priority of these and, and when you're passing those downstream questions uh, as well? We do, but I'm going to answer the question a little bit a little bit sure. differently if I may. So uh, when, when we begin to understand and do an assessment of what all is happening in the care area, the key driver that we find is SPO2 alarms. And SPO2 alarms are often alarms that will self-correct. But the key driver, in fact, in many cases, we see north of 40% of the alarms in a clinical setting are SPO2, right? And particularly if the threshold's at 90, you drop to 88, the alarm goes off. So one of the ways that we help to, to address this with our customers, it's the first thing we do is we collect what the data is and we generate reports. What all is happening? Because if, if you're thinking about solving an alarm management problem, Problem. First of all, you have to know what alarms are sounding and how many and where do they go. So the first thing we do is we understand where they're coming from and we work with the clinical team to understand what, what threshold settings they've set. So I talked about Johns Hopkins uh, a moment ago. They moved heart rate high from 115 to 120. And it was a decision made by the clinical team. That's not a decision a vendor makes. But the clinical team decided that 115 was too aggressive for heart rate high. They moved it to 120. So the first thing they did was understand what alarms were sounding. And they used Connexol uh, to capture that data and understand where they're coming from, what thresholds are being triggered at, and what thresholds should they be triggered at. So they bring down their gross number just by being attentive to the threshold. I've seen them move SPO2 from 90 to 89 and drive down the gross number of alarms. We have a, hosp a hospital here in, in Chicago that decided they were going to ignore SPO2 and focus only on DSAT because DSAT was a critical alarm and SPO2 low was a nuisance alarm and it was driving 40% of the volume. So understanding the alarms, setting the thresholds appropriately, and then the last thing that Connexol does is make sure that we send the alarm to the appropriate caregiver, right? So in many cases with products 
such as ours, every alarm that originates from a room is sent to the RN responsible for the patient in that room. Well, that means the RN is getting every single alert that's being triggered during the day, and that just doesn't make sense, right? So what Connexol does is we uniquely configure every alarm to make sure it goes to the person best suited to deal with that alarm. So a VTAC, a VFib, an asystole, we'll send that to the RN. Low battery, maybe that goes to biomed. Uh, leads off, maybe that goes to support staff. And in that way, bring down the gross number of alarms that are going to the most highest trained and, and frankly, the, uh, the, the, the team that is most contended, right? The contention for their attention is huge. So if we can bring down that contention, we can, we can improve the quality of the nursing care. So for a hospital that hasn't started deploying or managing their alarms, how do they, how do they begin? I mean, do they start in the areas where there's the most number of devices and alarms or inverse where their patients have the least number of nursing coverage, the highest patient to nursing ratio. Where do you, where do you typically see hospitals starting in, in trying to manage this process? Most often we find that hospitals will start in the intensive care units, uh, whether it's a NICU or PICU or SICU or MICU, but typically it's where the acuities are the highest, the numbers of devices are the greatest, and the amount of alarms, therefore, are, are highest. And, and that's where the, the alarm fatigue is most likely to happen. So we, we start out typically in intensive care, and then we moved into the uh, maybe a cardiac unit, uh, a step-down unit, and then the med surge unit. Sort of, so it, it goes to highest acuity, most number of alarms, and where we start is just collecting data. We, we, we connect to the various devices that are, are generating the alarms and begin to report and capture what all is happening there. And the beauty of the capsule solution is if you've already implemented capsule to aggregate that device data and write it to the EMR, Capsule can just send us a copy and we can pull the alarms from that data. So it's not like there's two parallel initiatives. They really are symbiotic. That if you've, if you've adopted the Capsule solution, then they can send us a copy of the stream that they're taking the vitals from and we can look at the alarms and begin to capture what all's going on there. Well, I want to say thank you to, to joining us today. The goal here is identify how to better utilize medical device data for both clinical and operational efficiencies. And I think the work that we've been doing with John and the Connexol team over the past few years, we're continuing to see ways in which we can further that tighter integration and improving uh, you know, the patient safety for our, our clients. So thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Convergence and Collaboration Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed it. We value your feedback and suggestions for future podcast topics, so please let us know. Until next time, continue to have the courage and creativity to collaborate.